GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Hello, everybody. It's Paul Elmsley here. And um, I'm here with Dr. Joe Kosterich, who's obviously an expert in the field of medicinal cannabis. And we're here to answer some frequently asked questions in this space. And we're going to be talking about prescribing and accessing medicinal cannabis. And these questions came recently from a webinar that we ran and we uh, had many questions and we wanted to make sure that we were able to answer the questions that you sought to get information on. So Joe, uh, welcome today. Thanks, Paul. Lovely to be here with you. Excellent. Um, So the first question I've got here is, how can patients access CBD in Australia for chronic pain and other conditions? Mm. Look, as things stand, uh, any medicinal cannabis product does require a prescription from a registered medical practitioner. Now, the TGA in February 2021 did downschedule CBD, so that's a cannabidiol only without any THC component, to Schedule 3, which does allow over-the-counter sales. However, though any product to be sold over-the-counter does require it to be on the ARTG or the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. That requires clinical trials uh, to satisfy the TGA. So currently there are none. So legally it's available over the counter, but in the real world, there are no products that are available over the counter. Somewhere over the next uh, probably 12, 18, 24 months or so, people will be able to purchase it over the counter. But now any medicinal cannabis product of any description requires, uh, requires a prescription. Excellent. And then as far as for treating chronic pain and other conditions? Mm. So for for treating chronic pain, which is the commonest reason why medicinal cannabis is used, there are a number of different formulations that can be used and it can be CBD only or CBD and THC in combinations from high CBD to roughly equal parts to even higher in in THC. Again, all of those require, at at this stage, require a, a prescription. For other conditions, it, it is you know it is variable as to what's used. For example, in chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, one might use equal parts of the two cannabinoids or um, a little bit more THC. People may use a product that's inhaled rather than taken orally for for chemo-induced nausea and vomiting, for in, in anxiety or insomnia, one probably use a straight CBD. There's no absolute answer to any of these questions. I think that's an important point to note. It's very individualized. Excellent. Okay. And then um, what's involved uh, in the prescription process in Australia and, and how can GPs become prescribers? Mm. So any registered, that's a really good question. Any registered medical practitioner can prescribe medicinal cannabis. As again, as things stand, each uh, prescription is an application to the TGA via the uh, via their portal. Now, there are two main pathways, the SASA and SASB. Now, I'd really say that really all prescriptions should be through the SAS or SASB scheme, uh, because that means people can then get um, an approval. It uh, generally comes back within 48 hours. Uh, they can then go to a chemist and get the prescription filled. The SASA scheme is for importation by an individual. so. Once upon a time, uh, that was a a mechanism that was used really today. Uh, Each time you do an application, there'll be a question and you'll have to tick a box. Do you want to make an SASA application? I would say, I I 
I cannot imagine a circumstance where you would tick yes. So any registered medical practitioner can do it. You need to complete the application in the portal. And part of that is you are saying that you have the relevant knowledge to, to manage the patient with their condition and with medicinal cannabis, which is why education is important. Um, and then you put in your application Depending upon the state, uh, there may be, and depending upon the formulation, state health approval may be required as well. It is all done through a single application process. For doctors who are experienced, they may apply to be authorised prescribers. In that situation, you don't need to make an application every time you want to prescribe. You can prescribe and then notify the, uh, the TGA on a uh, periodic basis. And what does it take to become an approved prescriber? Okay. Yeah, to, to do that, it is an application to the, the TGA. There, you need to demonstrate that you've done education. So again, the, the health cert course would be one of those. It does go through a committee. Um, I think there are some, some ethical issues that are, that are looked at. And then um, I think each, I think it's every two or three months, uh, people can put in their, their applications and they're, they're, they're looked at. There, as I say, there's a committee that it needs to go through. Currently, there are about 180, I think, as of, as of the end of December uh, 2020, authorised prescribers. That's up from 150, I think, in October and, uh, and steadily growing. It's, it is an area where you may want to get some help. And, and I should say that um, a lot of the, uh, the, the companies in the medicinal cannabis space can help people with putting their applications uh, together. Okay, so obviously from the perspective and the, the benefit in that situation is that if you are just doing the occasional one-off script, obviously it needs to be a SASB form, obviously applied for and then you know, it comes back within 48 hours before the script is written versus with the approved prescriber, you can write the script physically on the spot effectively. Exactly. So it's probably a little bit easier for the, for the patient and it could be argued that it's a little bit easier for the, for the doctor the, um, the sting in the tail, I suppose, with anything bureaucratic is you either do the application up front or you have to keep records, which in some respects you're going to do anyway, but keep a record of everybody you've treated and what you've treated them with and then put in a, um, and I think it's quarterly, I can't swear off the top of my head, to the TGA. So you can't escape the bureaucracy, um, at least not at this stage, but you can sort of, um, I suppose, do it either on a, as you go basis or bundle them all up and then on a periodic basis. To be an approved prescriber, you also do have to have demonstrated that you've got some experience in prescribing medicinal cannabis. So you probably wouldn't want to, do, to be honest, I'm not sure you'd want to do it unless you were prescribing reasonably frequently. And, and again, that's a relative term. I think if you're doing one prescription a month, I'm not sure I'd bother. If you're doing <clears throat> a number every day, then you may well which just if we want to go down that path. Very much a personal decision. Excellent. Um, do GPs, uh, well, sorry, sort of, so we answered that question. So GPs have to apply for each patient's script. So the answer is sure yes, answer if you're not course. an approved prescriber is effectively the answer to that question. So uh, very, very much so. And, and this applies to any doctor, specialists that you can prescribe as well, if it's in their, you know, within their field of expertise. And, and with the um, uh, SAS B form, Joe, I mean, what sort of information does that need to be put in there and sort of the time taken, I think, from your experience? Yeah, look, it gets quicker the more you do. Uh, the first one may well take you 30 minutes or so. First of all, you have to establish an account at the account, perhaps not the right term, but you need to register at the TGA portal. You put in your name, your APRA number, your practice address. There's a number of details that they, they need about you, same as any 
any other similar type, uh, you know, type portal. Once that's done, then you can obviously log in with a with a username and password that you set up. There's a series of pages, and it's it's fairly you know, it, it's fairly simple to follow it through. You need to put in for each application again, confirm you and your practice address, what it is you're prescribing. So it's very specific. You have to name the product and including the name of the manufacturer. So there might be. I'll pluck a number from here, a dozen different companies that make a CBD product. But whereas the push has been for generics and medicinal cannabis, it is very, very specific that you're prescribing a particular product at a particular strength made by a particular company in a particular form. So to be the name of the company, the strength of the product, the form, is it oral, is it inhaled? Uh, so all of those things need to be specified. The length of time that you're looking to treat the person for, now usually the approvals are only for 12 months, but you, know, you can put in that you want to treat them for, for two years or three years or like I think when you're starting, you probably wouldn't want to go much longer than one or two because you know how far can you predict the future? Um, there's then another page where you put in the details of the medication. It, it's probably easier when you see it than when I describe it. And then the, the critical one is your clinical justification, which says, um, you know, Mrs. XY has chronic pain. Uh, they've had it for, you know, very few 20, 30 years caused by, again, whatever it might be, osteoarthritis, previous trauma, um, that they have tried other medications and treatments that have failed. So you might want to list other treatments that they've been on that haven't worked and or that they might have reacted to. And this could include, you know, surgery in some instances. Um, and so that forms a clinical justification, which is the medicinal cannabis can only be used when other treatments have failed or have caused unacceptable side effects. A couple of other bullet points that, uh, you know, acceptable renal and kidney function. Most state laws uh, mean uh, state that if a person has had substance misuse issues, so if they are a registered drug addict, then uh, there may be some problems there. So it might need to be declared that they're not. State legislations do vary and with particular applications, there may be ways around it. Um, and that you'll be monitoring and then a monitoring plan, which is pretty much the same for everybody, more or less states what your start dose is, how you'll adjust the dosage, how you know that you'll be seeing them, monitoring them. Um, look, once you've done this the first couple of times, um, you can pretty much use the same monitoring plan for just about everybody. Yeah, and I assume a lot of this information is probably in your clinical notes anyway. So I, I assume that a big chunk of it would be cut and paste, I suppose, into the form. Absolutely, Paul. Um, your first one, you're going to have to sort of craft it a bit. Uh, after that, um, look, I'm going to weigh too many secrets, but look, you know, probably 80% or 90% of my applications that I do are copy and paste because the monitoring is the same. Some of the sentences about previous medications, yes, the medications differ, obviously, but that the other treatments have failed is, is the same. And, and often the reason is the same. You know, if it's chronic pain or insomnia or anxiety, the, 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 the potted history, and it doesn't have to be an essay. It really is, is, is only a couple of sentences. And yes, you can lift it from your clinical, uh, clinical notes, absolutely. Yeah, excellent. I know I said with our practices, we've got shortcuts to most things and put them into a template form because ultimately, as I said, there are slight variations, but if you are managing, I suppose, a similar condition, you know, obviously for patients, it's going to have a similar justification uh, from that. So That's true. And a way to think about it is if you had to apply for authorization every time you wanted to treat somebody for high blood pressure, 
your 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 reasons for doing it are going to be very very similar and so it is with uh, with use of medicinal cannabis in conditions obviously uh, for anxiety is different to chronic pain is different to, to multiple sclerosis but underneath each of those yeah, it's not going to be that different yeah okay and, and i suppose the process of doing it so this would be done with the patient in the room or you do this after the patient's left the room and do you uh, look, that's accordingly personal um look, that, that's personal preference yeah. Um, some, I'd probably say most doctors are going to do it um, after the patient is gone. Look, I'll, <clears throat> personally, I, I often do them at home in the evening. It's just a little bit easier <laughs> and quicker, but um, some people might do it between patients. Some people might do it at the end of the day. It's entirely at, uh, at, the, at the doctor's discretion. Um, the advantage of having the patient in the room is you can ask them questions. The disadvantage um, is you just have them sitting there longer and, and you're just sitting there tapping away at the computer and yeah. um, not sure that's, again, it, it's to the doc, it, it's to the individual to decide. Certainly the first one, um, allow yourself a little bit of time when you've not done them before. Okay. And just as far as, I mean, maybe from your experience, as far as charging for, call it the, the paperwork time that sits outside of, the physical patient in the room um, what have you seen out there in the i suppose the field of doctors doing this sort of stuff yeah uh, look again obviously because of um competition laws one can't sort of give any advice yeah. about any of these matters but um look i think it's for, for which pretty much all doctors in this space it will be um, a private consultation you can some of the, some doctors and some of the cannabis treatment clinics will charge a, a TGA or administration fee separate to the the, the consultation fee. Some uh, clinics will, will charge you know a few hundred dollars for a first consultation, uh, a little bit less for a second consultation. Most first consultations will be long. Again, this is for each individual doctor um, to see how they go, and especially if it's a new patient. And some of the doctors who get into this space uh, will often see will find that they get referrals from from other doctors, and you might not know or be familiar with the patient. So generally, your first cons will always be a long one. Whether you want to um, add um, an administration fee and just make the, the cost for that one uh, more than it might otherwise be, or whether because or whether you want to have a consultation and a separate fee, look again, I can't give anybody advice on on that. Um, that's for practices to you know to determine yeah. what and doctors to determine what they feel um, is appropriate for for them and their their client base. Excellent, no, great, uh, great uh, solution. I think ultimately. Once again, from, from our experience, once again, also running sort of more subspecialized medical services is that patients generally will be happy to pay and do understand, you know, if this is what's gonna, it's gonna take obviously to help them with their problems, they will invest in it. It's, I find it very common with doctors to be very mindful of necessarily what the patients can afford without really understanding maybe what their motivations are and or their access to resources. So notwithstanding the fact there are people who generally, you know, uh, can't afford and obviously that's what Medicare is there for, but uh, I think, as I said, if it does cost you some more time to have a justifiable additional cost, it's certainly not unreasonable in that sense. Look, that's very, very true. And I think if you talk to doctors in, in, in the space who prescribe medicinal cannabis, I think they pretty much all will say that uh, people coming in and paying for consultation is not proving a, a barrier. People can be no. booked up weeks uh, in advance. And some of the uh, dedicated cannabis 
uh, clinics, uh, you know, their fees, some of them um, are certainly not insignificant and they also have wait times extending to weeks and, and months. So um, again, each doctor has to make their own view and form their own uh, opinion on, on this, but you're completely correct in what you say, Paul. Yeah. And then as far as then doing a repeat script, so obviously that's the first time we've had to do a little bit of work for our good friends at the uh, TGA. So then as far as repeat scripts going forward, is it, what is that process? Is it the same again as far as doing another script? Um, so once you got approval, and look, one thing I should have said is depending upon what state you're in, um, there may be a requirement to notify the uh, relevant state health authority, and that's just one extra page of putting in some, some details. Usually that's for products with THC, not with pure CBD, uh, but it is different in different states. Uh, repeat scripts, if you've got the approval um, or authority for 12 months, for example, then you can just write out uh, continuing scripts pretty much as per your outline. So if you've said, for example, the, the maximum dose that a person will be on might be, and I'm just plucking this number from the air, might be uh, three mils per day, and they got getting a bottle of, of 50 mils, then if you're writing out a prescription every three days, you may get a query from the on the, from the authorities. So your ongoing prescriptions can be as per what you, you've asked for without any additional approval. Now at the end of 12 months, um, and this will be on when you get the, um, the approval back, and it's when you give the first prescription, when you give the first prescription, you do need to print out copies of the TGA approval and if applicable, the relevant state health approval and the patient will need to take that to the chemist. The chemist will need that as well. And I would suggest always printing out a copy so the patient has it for their own records. But subsequent prescriptions, no, that doesn't need to happen and, and probably be a good idea for the patient to go to the same chemist because they will have the, the paperwork. Um, but yes, at the end of probably um, 12 months, you will need to put in a new application. They're pretty simple because if all's going according to plan, then all you really need to do is say, well, we've treated this person for the last 12 months, they're going well, or you know, they're, going, they're quite doing okay with their treatment, there've been no adverse effects, um, and otherwise the, the history is as per uh, previously advised. Again, unless there are some changes, in which case you might uh, put those in. Awesome. Um, another question. Can traditional Chinese medicine doctors or other health practitioners prescribe CBD? Yeah, so you need to be a registered medical practitioner. So somebody who practices traditional Chinese medicine, but is a registered medical practitioner can prescribe. I suppose somebody who's a naturopath or doesn't have uh, or isn't registered with APRA as a medical practitioner, I wouldn't be able to. Okay. Um, and the next question is who and how can patients be referred to if uh, I've got their CBD, but let's just use obviously any form of medicinal use cannabis uh, is an option for them. So this yeah. might be somebody who's maybe there's a patient slightly outside their knowledge set or experience set at that point. Um, look, at the moment, I, I suppose there are a couple of, uh, there are a few cannabis, uh, dedicated cannabis clinics and, and you, know, you can uh, Google them. There is a, um, a website called uh, Green Choices that has a, a list of doctors that you can search by state. There probably are a couple of other sites where you can do a uh, search for a doctor in your, in your area. Health Engine may, I'm not sure if they do or they don't uh, have, a, have a function along those lines. Um, look, word of mouth is a useful thing too, but look for doctors who are thinking, I, I don't know where to start then, yes, either one of the cannabis dedicated clinics or going to Green Choices or, um, 
sometimes doing a, a quick, dare I say, Google search, you're probably going to find doctors uh, in your area who are, um, a, a, you know, prescribers of medicinal cannabis. But the best thing is to, to you know, do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's obviously the point of education is exactly, so that you can, yeah. and then and then with the when the very small percentage of patients that you can't treat, then you've got you know your friendly doctor up the road that you've got to develop a relationship with. Mm. Um, and look, and, and like anything, once you get into this space and you start observing it and uh, paying attention, you know, it's it's like anything else would be a medicine. I mean, you would you know have specialists that you tend to refer to because mm. of the relationship you build over time. So. Uh, when you do have a patient outside your scope or, or comfort level, for sure. Um, and this is where it should medicinal cannabis, we ultimately need to come to see it like any other field of medicine. You, you do what you can do, and there are going to be times when you need to refer to, to somebody else. So if we can always bring it back to those basic principles. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, and last question on this one. So when will over-the-counter cannabis be available in Australia and Australian pharmacies? Um, and how will this affect doctors prescribing CBD? Mm. Look, I can't say when it's going to be because that's going to be a function of companies developing products that satisfy the requirements of the, of the TGA under what's called the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. Um, I would be pretty surprised if we saw anything much before the middle of 2022, um, but you know, that, that is something where really I, I cannot express an opinion. The, the TGA is allowed for um, 150 milligram capsules and up to 30 to be available over the counter. Look, in terms of prescribing of CBD, I think as soon as it is available over the counter, there'll be a percentage of people who will go down that path rather than getting a, a prescription. And, and I'm, I'm not sure that should come as any great surprise. Um, but there are a number of people where there is a requirement for both CBD and THC, and, and those people will still require a prescription and higher doses than an, that are about then will be available over the counter. Uh, also, will uh, will require prescriptions. So exactly when um, can't say. You know, I'd say it'd be certainly less than three years, but I'd be surprised if it's uh, within twelve months. Yeah, and also it needs to be bear in mind is the patients generally when they're looking for solutions will look for expert advice, which obviously as a doctor, you are a trusted expert in that sense. So that, you know, if even if it does turn out that, you know, and once again, the lower level CBD, which is, is going to be a schedule three drug, as, it, as, as Joe said, has now become so, but just not available in this country, uh, typically has been used for sleep. So, what, so with the schedule three, I mean, what sort of conditions will it sort of be trying to be fit for purpose versus let's say, the Schedule 4 version? Yeah, and that's a really good question because the, um, the, 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 the linchpin in all of this is being able to demonstrate efficacy at, at what might be sort of slightly lower doses. So uh, there are elements in the industry that are saying, well, it's going to be, you know, one of the difficulties in getting an over-the-counter product is being able to demonstrate that it, you know, that, that it works at the sort of dose that's allowed. Um, but look, I'm sure that, that will, there'll, there'll be some solutions. Um, look, CBD alone can be used for, for chronic pain and it's used, you know, including for, for migraines, it can be used for insomnia, it can be used in um, anxiety. Now, anxiety probably be a good example where self-medicating might not be a particularly good idea and, and it's much better that people are continuing to see a, see a doctor. But I think what we're going to find, rightly or wrongly, is that anybody who's looking um, to use medicinal cannabis may think, well, look, I can just 
try something over the counter and see how I go. I know there's any way, there's going to be any way of stopping that. I think a number of people will eventually also find that doing that without some assistance from a doctor might not go from as well as they'd, they'd like it to. But if we look at what happens, you know, if we look at what happens overseas, uh, particularly with, with CBD, there are a lot of edibles in North America and Europe that have got CBD in them. There are a lot of foods that I mentioned that have, have it added in. And in some jurisdictions, it can be bought over the counter, but um, a lot of those jurisdictions also have a, a very strong medical uh, cannabis, uh, I suppose industry is not the right word, but have a strong presence of medical cannabis sitting alongside that, um, you know, there are some over the counter formulations available. I think the other thing people also realise is as the product becomes more readily available, it also then make, you know, shifts the public's mindset around also the product for, once again, for other therapeutic benefits. So, you know, we're, we're, that, you know, we're that very, I mean, it's interesting, obviously, you know, look at Canada, US, I mean, obviously many, you know, advanced Western countries are, are years ahead of us as far as what, you know, obviously having medicinal cannabis in the market. But like anything, it's, you know, when it's then publicly visible and it's, you know, it's on the shelf, all these sorts of things, it'll then create actually a greater awareness. I mean, there's a group of patients that want it now, but there's other patients that will then consider it as an option and want to talk to their doctor about it if obviously the drugs don't work or they're obviously experiencing. And the more experience we get, the, uh, you know, hopefully I think will happen, even the regulations around prescribing of straight up medicinal cannabis, including THC, will, will loosen because it'll become evident that the world's not going to end. We're not, not, not creating an army of, of potheads. Um, <laughs> it's not a crisis like with the opioids. People are not going to be um, overdosing in a fatal manner. And I think that, you know, where we'd like to get to in a few years is that it can pretty much be prescribed like any other, you know, like any other medication. Uh, so, um, and, you know, so to that extent, over the counter at, at, a, at a medical community and even government level sends the message is, well, you know, hey, how dangerous can this stuff be? Um, yeah. and, and it isn't. And again, that doesn't mean that it works for everybody. It doesn't. But I think in terms of its usage, we can go from being, oh, this is fearsome, this is terrible, um, to look, it's just another, it's just another tool that can be used and can be a benefit to, to certain people in certain situations. Excellent. No, totally agree. And I think, as I said, the actual regulation side of it, or definitely the, the challenge around filling in form will dissipate. I mean, it's interesting to watch even just the federal government, you know, in the last just a couple of years is trying to push things through to make things uh, happen quicker. And as, as Joe's rightly said, there is obviously a little bit of state-based stuff to make yourself familiar with. Um, but I'm conscious of the fact that if you look at anything that so far, even, you know, conservative federal government's been doing, it's actually been to accelerate the process not hold it back. And I think that, uh, you know, we will see, and like anything, this is the, the early adopter, you know, coming in at a point where uh, I think particularly for, for doctors that do want to upskill and sort of make this an area of subspecialty or of interest for them. As I said, there are, there are definitely thousands of patients that are trying to look for uh, a solution, but obviously just generally can't find it this time. Excellent. Um, so, Joe, thanks very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the uh, next uh, webinar podcast talking more about medicinal cannabis. Pleasure, Paul. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to healthcert.com.